Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Look, I understand that the playoffs have a lot of random outcomes and that, you know, one game where you played well, but you let a goal in at the bad time can change the course of a series. But Florida. I knew this was going to be about Florida. Just making me look so stupid. I might have been premature about taking them out of my loser franchise bracket. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the requirements are you have to win a game in the second round. Yeah, if you don't win a game in the second round, then your first round win doesn't count. Yeah. My God. It's got to be gut-wrenching for Leafs fans right now, eh? And Florida scored a power play goal today. So they're probably like, oh, monkey off the back. Oh, nope. We still suck. (laughs) Well, they could have scored a couple on that one. But, uh, you know, the refs and anyways. It's not been good in the second round, I'll tell you. Playoffs season. Yes, it's 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 been it's been fun overall. It's to the point where you have like big national broadcasters calling it out, and I'm like, whoa! Like Ron McLean saying that on air and talking about what's going on with refereeing and like disagreeing with decisions. Ron's a ref. Yeah, he Ron's part of the brotherhood. He knows how hard it is for referees to to officiate this game, <laughs> and he's calling it out. And you're like, Eek. well, it's just getting dumb for lack of a better word. Like the Hagel cross check from behind today like i'm very sympathetic to refs in general like you're gonna miss calls and have bad calls every game the game is so fast and i don't think fans truly appreciate how f- much faster it is at ice level yeah so yeah you miss a cross check you miss a trip you miss a hook or it looks like there was one and oh you were wrong you wasn't that guy's thing whatever the fact that they reviewed that play and they looked at it for a good long while and then said, nah, <laughs> like that's inexcusable. That's just, you're bad at your job. It's ubiquitous across sports though. Uh, English Premier League fans, and I don't want to talk about what happened today, um, will note like the onset of VAR and everyone's saying, oh yeah, well that's going to change everything. And they still go to VAR and they check everything and they still get it wrong. And you're like, well, what's the point? Anyhow, anyhow. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about uh, not just the playoffs, but also the Detroit Red Wings, the upcoming draft, the vacant head coaching spot, and everything else to do in the world of Red Wings and NHL hockey. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. Yeah, you can do all that. I'm just here to bitch about the refs. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. At least both of you are on brand. (laughs) Like I said on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll be talking about the news of uh, Barry Trotz and his continued, well... They're calling it teams interviewing Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz is uh, interviewing teams right now, um, as well as a couple of depth signings for the Red Wings. And then we're going to continue our Detroit Red Wings 2021-2022 season in review series, where we'll take a look at the rest of the forwards, likely, uh, in a series that's stretched out. But hey, um, really notable news like Jeff Blaschel being fired and Elliot Friedman coming onto the show are good enough reasons to split up that that series. I hope you all can abide by that. Listen, when your team sucks, it's a long off season. The more we can spread out the content, the better for everybody. And Fridge coming on here and talking about how Steve Eisenman is a hard ass and you have to play ball with him. It's not bad. It's a nice way to mix it up. I love it. Thanks again to Fridge for coming on the show, by the way. Uh, We'll be talking about the uh, playoffs and what's happened there most notably my bracket falling apart pathetically Uh, but no seriously the uh, the playoffs progressing in a way I think 
a lot of people are pretty surprised with. And then we'll uh, we'll get into some random league news and take a look at some betting odds before jumping into overtime. Before that, I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, the Wings Money on the Board campaign. Thank you all so much who have pledged, who have donated. We are almost wrapped up. We are very, very, very close to a stretch goal of $30,000 raised for the Jamie Daniels Foundation through Wings Money on the Board. I think a lot of people made pledges for the Calder Trophy and what comes to that. So after that is done and after those pledges are in, then we'll tally it up and prizes will be sent out. So thank you all so very much uh, for your support of the foundation and what an incredible season. Secondly, uh, our good friend uh, Prashant Iyer, who uh, ran Wings Money on the Board and created it alongside us, is also writing a series for wingedwheelpodcast.com right now. It is his annual What Would I Do or What I Would Do If I Were Steve Eisman series. I think last year he was like nearly every contract was correct and was off by like cumulative half million across all of them or something. Which is insane. Yeah. Prashant absolutely knows something. He has like <laughs> he has the crystal ball into Steve Eisman's mind and it's the only way. No. Um part two of it will be up. Part one is up on wingedwheelpodcast.com right now. Part two is uh, available at the time of recording exclusively to patrons, but will be posted uh, on the wingedwheelpodcast.com blog as of Monday at some point. So take a look at that. Um, yeah, and thank you to Prashant for putting together that excellent series. Yeah, but he did he nail the Steve Kampfer contract? He hmm? missed that. How could you? And he left <laughs> he left you off of the uh it's a little bit of a spoiler, but the coaches, because the part two talks about the coaching options for Eisenman, and he left Evan off the list. I've coached nothing ever in my life, so I'm definitely a front runner. Yeah, but you have a coach's face. You have a hockey face. Has anyone ever told you that? Yes. Yeah. Evan looks like every hockey player ever. He does. Mel, um, sometimes people insult me in a funny way. They And they do it. They're very sly about it. They find out that I've played hockey, that I played hockey, like obviously. Not like competitive like I was making the show, but you know, travel hockey, whatever. And they always say to me, huh, you don't look like you played hockey. And I go, thank you jerk <laughs> and then you know it's like you you want to ask them to elaborate but that's an answer you're not ready to hear exactly <laughs> and then mel's like what do you mean by like hockey culture and hockey bros i'm like you know how you think evan is before you actually like meet him and talk to him she's like yeah i was like like that wow <laughs> just yeah. just imagine evan this all turned into an insult of me <laughs> absolutely absolutely misery loves company man I'm sorry out of it for once <laughs> No, oh. just imagine Evan if he didn't know how to put his hat on all the way. Oh, that drives me insane. <laughs> I'm such a boomer. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyhow, okay, let's talk about the, the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, not too long ago, Barry Trotz became available as Lane Lambert took his job as head coach. Not necessarily in that order, but I digress. Um, and everyone very, very boldly predicted that Steve Eisman would be interested in the coach who has recently won a Stanley Cup, has a track record of maximizing his rosters and getting his team to play overall better defense than the sum of their parts. Lo and behold, it has been reported by Elliot Friedman, friend of the podcast, um, that he Steve Eisman is indeed interested in Barry Trotz, and Barry Trotz is expected to interview for Detroit's uh, vacant head coaching position. Other teams interested, Winnipeg and Philadelphia, have been reported, and then Vegas as well. And, and I'm sure there are others in there who have coaches and just can't publicly state their interest right now so not a shock but good news bad news interesting news good news obviously good news um because you know when he became available i think everybody with a shred of common sense who understands the trade position went yes 
let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then everybody also with common sense went, well, we're probably not on his short list for many reasons. Um, but it turns out the fact we are on his short ri- list is a huge positive because um, there's there were coaches. Uh, sorry, there are teams with coach vacancies that were not on that list. Many. So, which is a positive sign. Yeah. If, if, if the report is, if we're taking the report as it was stated, like he'll be in the room, so to speak, for an interview. And that means something. Yeah. That's a lot closer nothing. than Detroit was to Stamkos when he was a free agent. Yeah. Didn't even get in the room. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, do I think out of the teams that are, uh, the four teams reported, Detroit's the favorite? No. I probably put them at three at best. Yeah. I, I think Detroit at this point is more desirable than the Flyers, but, obviously not more desirable than vegas winnipeg they're at least very clearly trying to win now which will appeal to trots what you think about their long-term future who cares but trots is from manitoba and winnipeg's trying to win now so yeah um that is more appealing to him in all likelihood but no it's you know the red wings are going to get some face time you know steve eisenman has convinced people of uh far greater things before yeah (laughs) so yeah, and um, you hope it works out because obviously, like we went on the big long spiel uh, a couple podcasts ago, if of if you can get Barry Trotz, uh, you get Barry Trotz. It doesn't matter how or when. So if this is the how and now is the when, great. I'm I'm excited for the part two of the if I were Steve Eisman series to come out because Prashanth goes into good details about all the options, the systems they employ, the impacts that they've had on their team in terms of things like possession defensive play offensive output things like that um i think that's really important for people to see because it's not so black and white with barry trotz where there's this misconception and we talked about this where you know barry trotz gets good defense out of his team but that means his team's offense is stifled and that's not necessarily true at all and you can see offensive output depending on the team that he had really wasn't like that wasn't the case with it and they were able to produce Washington won a Stanley Cup under him. So, um, and then they're actually to kind of just put a further emphasis on that point because we'll use an example from this season. Who is arguably the most defensive minded good coach in the NHL right now? Give me one guess. I, I won't drag it up, but give me one guess because I think you might get it. Sorry. Good defense. Good coach who's very ultra defensive minded. <sighs> I'm going through the team. Is it like Rod Brindamore? Daryl Sutter. Oh, God. Yeah, that was an obvious one. Yeah, jeez. Daryl Sutter, the defensive coach whose entire top line scored 40 goals each. Yeah. You can have both. Wow, I can't believe I said Rod when Daryl Sutter was right there. I was looking at an Eastern Conference. Yeah. Um, No, and that's a good point. And there's there's some really good right now. I don't know if it's Trotz that has... Uh, inspired this but there's some really good conversations about coaching philosophy so i I like that all this is happening right now that these conversations are happening because i think it can broaden people's minds in terms of what they can expect from a coach like old old school doesn't necessarily mean always like firm and like demanding of their team and new school doesn't always mean like wishy-washy and like uh, progressive and everything has to be new and offense only. Like it's not necessarily that at all. You can have new age coaches who are hard asses and you can have old coaches who adapt to their teams. Barry trots, right? Like you work with what you got. Um, and you know, just cause you're an old school demanding coach like Barry trots is doesn't mean your players don't love you. Like look at Scotty Bowman as the ultimate example. Like 
he was the ultimate hard ass and, and his players loved him. Maybe not all the time, but they did. And the one story with Barry Trotz that always sticks out in my head, and it's because it's a recent example, relatively recently, is um, you know, the type of coach that'll do this for his team is when the Capitals were going on their cup run in 2018, there was a moment in the playoffs where I, I think they got into like a kind of a tough spot and like he wanted to loosen the team up. And the Capitals had this thing at the end of practice called a hot lap where a player would do a full lap of the ice, like mm-hmm. balls to the wall as hard as they could. And like, you know, the team would get going, get him going on it. Well, in a really, really key moment in that playoff run, Trotz himself skated the hot lap. That's and there was video of it and it was great. And the boys were loving it. Like, you know, a coach whose players hate him isn't going to do that. Yeah. So, you know, before people form this generic stereotype, because Trotz is that type of coach, that stereotype doesn't ever fully exist but you got to look at the context outside of yeah is Barry Trotz a defensive-minded coach yes absolutely no argument here but if you think that's all he is I don't know what to tell you because I don't think there's any coach that fits into that box fully if Pete DeBoer did a pot lap Robin Leonard would be on the bench trying to take his head off his shoulders as he went by (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah we'll see what comes of that again like you said Brad I, I don't think it's going to be like it's no guarantee I think this is a different age of the Red Wings because remember back when we were talking about, you know, Mike Babcock potentially staying with Detroit versus going elsewhere. And we ended up, well, we obviously know how that one went. I think we were a lot more hopeful and we were like, yeah, like the Red Wings are a good place to stay and he'll want to be here. Now it's like, I don't know how much, how much does the Eisman factor come into play with the coach? Don't know. This isn't a coach that's trying to break into the league, right? He can write his own check. He can write his own ticket. Your guess is as good as mine. I like to think that the Eisman factor is a part of it, but Trotz doesn't need like he's worked under under uh, GMs and yeah, he just got upper out. management who have just as much respect commanded as as Eisman does. He just got out from under Lou. Lou, yeah, he goes from Lou to Lou Light. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it, it, it's up in the air, and I'm just happy and it's notable that the Red Wings are even in the room. I'm going to title the episode, this episode, The Room Where It Happened. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. That's corny as hell. I don't get it. That's for the best. Okay. There's some people chuckling at you right now. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry about turning my insult into your insult earlier. That's okay. I feel like we need to debrief that after. Oh, I don't care. I forgot until you brought it up. Like Evan played junior hockey. There's not a chirp you can possibly give him that he hasn't heard that is a million times worse. I don't even know what the chirps would be nowadays with the young TikTokers. Oh, I, I'm firmly detached. It's I not, thought I was, dude, the young kids suck at chirping. It's like, that's it's what the old, old head said. Yeah, it's yeah. the old guys. I remember my, back in my day. <laughs> no, the, the, the old guys in the league, like the actual, like guys who have, have seen shit, their chirps are always just straight to the point and cut right to your core. Like they're the good, like I told you about the one, like the one guy this year just skated up next to me, some six foot three monster looked down at me and just went, where's the rest of you? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Like (laughs) it's perfect. I have no comeback to that. He didn't swear. He didn't do anything racist, sexist, weird. And it just cut right to the core of me. Um, all right. Why don't we, uh, why don't we tackle the rest of the forwards that we didn't take a look at for our Red Wings season in review? I think we had largely a positive review because we looked at Larkin, Bertuzzi, <laughs> took all the good players. Larkin, Bertuzzi, Raymond, Suter, Verona, right? And then we we did put Zadina in there, and Zadina took a little bit of a lashing. Um, but 
let's talk about the rest of them. And I want to start with Robbie Fabry, who I think had an interesting season, um, which ended in kind of tragedy with his, again, again, torn ACL. It's just brutal. And you have to think that any success that Robbie Fabry had for the Red Wings after coming back from his first two, you were like, this is kind of a surprise. And it's really good to see that his game can still be productive despite some devastating injuries. Robbie Fabry in 56 games uh, put up 17 goals and uh, 13 assists for 30 points. Um, had Again, you know, he has a bigger role in this lineup right now than I think a lot of people would say you would want Robbie Fabry to have on a cup competitive team. But that is the name of the game for most of the Red Wings right now. What do you make of Robbie Fabry's season? He's good. Uh, I don't think he spent a minute on the top line this year. So the fact that he could maintain over a half a point per game is even that much more impressive. He did play on the top power play unit, but he wasn't one of the go-to guys who would have his puck on the puck on a stick a lot on that power play. Um, and he honestly wasn't particularly effective in his role in the power play either. So that's a, definitely a knock against him. But um, no, yeah, the Red Wings needed depth. They needed depth to come from somewhere. He was one of the probably the best player on who consistently played on the second line for most of the season. Suter obviously had his moments. And yeah, the problem with Fabry now is because it's his other knee, it's another ACL. The projection for him going forward is a giant, well, yeah. you hope he can repeat it. And obviously because of his first um, couple ACL surgeries, speed was not a factor in his game at all. So if he comes back and he's uh, you know still not fast, it, it shouldn't make or break him, but it's certainly not going to help. So he's 26. Next year is the start of a new contract for him at $4 million a year for three years, for three seasons. So it's uh, it's a pay increase. I think that as a cap goes up, that'll be a little bit friendlier as well. It goes without saying. Um, I think Robbie Fabry is due for a obviously tough offseason, but next season as well. Like he's ACL recovery is no joke. It's going to be really tough. It's grueling and all of that. And he's going to be missing some really important conditioning. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if, and when he comes back into the lineup next season, he's a little bit slower to get up to speed and we don't see the same productivity right away. The good news is he's still 26, right? This isn't happening to a 31, 32 year old. Um, you know that his body still has the capacity to rebound in a way where there isn't there at least could be this the case where there isn't going to be a massive degradation into in what he can do on the ice but it's a big question mark there's a chance that that four three by four million dollar deal looks fine and there's a chance that that three by four million dollar deal looks like eh, well bad timing with that injury and you kind of have to wait it out i'm personally I, I i'm pretty hopeful that he'll be able to come back and still be productive on the the second and third line for detroit but he has a tough road ahead again what were you smiling at halfway through that? What did I say that was wrong? Oh, nothing. Oh. Yeah. That's new. No. Just smiling to yourself? Yep. Don't do that. That freaks me out. <laughs> I'm actually nervous now. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> what don't I know? Lots of things, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> where do we start? Your take on Fabry. Yeah, I thought he had a good season. I mean, really, Robbie Fabry's it's just a matter of time until he seems to get hurt. Um, unfortunately so, but... Um, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for him to continue next year with the pace he was on this year. I, I think you kind of have to wipe the slate clean and whatever Robbie Fabry does next year will be whatever. 
That's like, just what you get. Yeah, it won't be like, oh, it wasn't half a point per game. This was a season was a throw off or a throw out. Um, but this season, I thought he was good. I mean, he didn't get any first line minutes. He was a loyal soldier on the second, third lines. Um, and he was rather productive. So good enough. All right, let's move on here. Um, and this is a player who, what a turnaround. Michael Rasmussen, the first half of the season, it's funny because Michael Rasmussen's season was almost inverse to like Detroit as a team's performance. Um, the first part of the season, Michael Rasmussen, I felt was trying to play a game that wasn't him too much, trying to finesse too much, trying to like use his skill at an NHL level, firing the puck really right into the goalie's chest wasn't doing much of anything really well he was really weak on the puck losing puck battles you know kind of getting folded by guys who are much smaller than him and you're like it's so frustrating to watch because at the very least you should be strong and dominating with your body and then i don't know what happened i don't know what changed i mean ask me some whisperer i mean again one of the things that jeff blashill should get credit for from last season is or whoever whoever did it or whoever was in on it which it's a team effort obviously player development is a big thing but around december january ish michael rasmussen a switch flipped it was actually the team the the social team put up uh i can't remember what the prompt was but players were walking past and talking about their seasons and rasmussen's answer was like what what's your new year's resolution yeah it was yeah and rasmussen was play hockey better and everyone (laughs) laughed and it was like Good on Rasmussen. He actually completed his New Year's resolution because the second half of the season, stronger on the puck, not trying to do like overly complicated things, just like fire it, get high, like high percentage shots, high percentage chances. He buried those chances. Like I can think of multiple like breakaway or half break opportunities where he buried it, use his body to protect the puck, use his frame to to drive to the high danger areas, crash the net and played a hard nosed game where you're like, thank you, Michael Rasmussen. That's exactly what we need you to be doing for the Detroit Red Wings, and he he started doing it. So I think for the first two or three months of the season, we can comfortably say Rasmussen was probably the worst player on the team. Um, I would say he was among the worst of players that I had actual expectations for. Oh, like, if we're talking about players we had expectations for, he was definitely the worst. Um, like if you want to whatever fourth line plug was up and around the time, like whatever. Even then, it was... Danny DeKaiser played for the Red Wings this year. Good point. Yeah. Worst forward. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah, my bad. Um, And, you know, nothing was going right for him and, like, all the reasons you laid out. And then a couple things happened. Uh, Most importantly, and the timing of it, he got moved to wing. Right. And that's – He got pulled off center. And a center has to be good at a lot of things and keep track of a lot of things and, you know, be responsible for a lot of things on the ice. And uh, he can't do that. The thing with Michael Rasmussen and the reason wing benefits him is he's – only good at a couple things, but he's really good at those couple things. So if you can revolve, or if you can make 80% of his game, 80% of the time he's on the ice, focusing on those couple things, mm-hmm. he's going to be a good player. Now, yeah. when when his improvements continued to the point where his season, you know, a lot of people, could this guy be a first line winger, second line winger? Like, is this guy like our top six under, like get that right the hell out of your head. His improvement was dramatic because he went from being 
like maybe like a middle six AHLer at the beginning of the year to a legit third line winger in the NHL. And that is a massive improvement and he should be commended for it. And it's a tremendous win. Do not expect him to be anything more than that, or you'll just be disappointed all over again. Oh, that's such a good point. Cause yeah. like essentially what the expectation for Michael Rasmussen moving forward is first, like, I hope the Red the Red Wings shore up their center depth so they can keep him on the wing. That was a great point that I should have opened with. Like the yeah. positional change is really important. Yeah. Um, but the focus is to continue to solidify the good work that he did and has done and become an even better, like bottom six winger. Yeah. Is he good enough to go plug in on a second line for a Robbie Fabry if he gets sure? He could be a stopgap, not a particularly good one, but he's better than any other option the Red Wings have in the bottom six right now currently to do that. So that that's, again, a testament to him. It, it comes off as a negative, but it's not because, again, I think people forget how bad he was at the beginning of the year, which is why I really want to drive that point home. Yeah. Um, because his progress was remarkable, and I do not want to diminish it by saying his ceiling is a third-line winger. Um, he's great defensively, and he was getting better – on the cycle this year, winning puck battles and finally using his length and driving the net and batting and banging in shitty pucks in front of the net. That's it. I just described the entire, all the strengths that he has in the game of hockey. But as a winger in a third or a fourth line role, mm -hmm. you can be super effective doing just that. Because the difference between him and, um, sorry to piss everybody off, late career Darren Helm. <laughs> it's asking for it. <laughs> but Michael Rasmussen, one of his big, skills and traits in juniors was he could finish when he got close to the net. He could find those loose pucks and, and, and get a lot of pucks into the net. So he's not this guy who needs to be pigeonholed as just, this is our fourth line defensive winger. No, you get him down the ice and you get him to drive the puck to the net, or you get him to screen the goalie, you know, crash the net. He's a guy who can have a lot of success with that. And we started to see that a little more at the end of the year. There's still, I think a, that's where his biggest area for growth is, mm -hmm. is he needs to do it more because he's good at it when he does it. Um, but yeah, so you can get him, expect him to chip in a healthy amount of goals. And especially with all the strides he's made off his skating, if he's coming down the ice and that defenseman knows, okay, this guy's going to try and burn me wide and cut to the net. It almost doesn't matter because he's, Faster, bigger, and stronger. He still might do it even if the defenseman knows it's coming. Which, you know, you can say, oh, well, if he's a one-dimensional player, the defense can read him. Not when you're that good at it. You, you, and especially with mismatches, like he's not going to be playing against the other team's best defenseman, yeah. right? Like the, Michael Rasmussen's line isn't going to carry, you know, Jacob Slavin uh, yeah. on the other end. So you get a mismatch and you drive around or through someone who can't handle you, then that's how you get depth scoring does gary roberts still do like player conditioning yes yep i what i don't like i don't know what the the plan is for the offseason for red wings players individually i know they have uh barwis and and obviously every player does their own thing get michael rasmussen in with whoever can make him just like the raw strongest person that he can be he doesn't even need to overthink it michael eat everything you can and lift everything you see I, all of it repeatedly <laughs> as much as possible don't stop honestly 
like you get that base, you get that frame, that solid, like low center of gravity strength in, and the, the images of Michael Rasmussen being knocked over will be a thing of the past. He's just like, his body almost fights against him. He's so big. Like he's so long that like you push his hips and he like folds in the middle. Like he creases. Yeah. You need to, like, he just needs to really focus on strength. His strength did get better over the season. And I will say over the course of an NHL season, especially with jam packed games, like you generally like players lose muscle mass over the course of the season. It's really hard to like stay bulked up and lift as much as you need to with travel and games and practice. And he did manage to get stronger over the year. So credit to him for that. But it's got to be a big, big summer of conditioning in my mind. I had a lot more in the second half of the season comments where I was like, huh, that was Michael Rasmussen who did that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I can't believe Michael Rasmussen did that. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know he could do that. Was that Michael Rasmussen? Yeah. Like, who was skating that fast? It can't possibly be Michael Rasmussen. Turns out it was. Yeah. One of my low-key favorite moments of the entire season was when they were playing Tampa and there was a turnover at Detroit's blue line and it turned into a breakaway for him because it was a head-to-head race between him and Patrick Maroon. Oh, amazing. And he looked like Connor McDavid. I know. Bro, he felt like Connor McDavid too. <laughs> you know what's funny is like, I never thought Patty Maroon was a fast player, um, but I do remember think going like watching that play and going, oh, wow, he's slow, slow, huh? Yeah, that was the moment where I thought for the first time in my life, Maybe there is an NHL or I could beat in a straight line race. Yeah. Those are the moments. All right. So that's Michael Rasmussen. You know what? The the uh, lineup doesn't it doesn't get sparse, but in terms of players that we're going to have like a lot of opinions on, it S- b- apply blanket statement. Yeah. Yeah, if you have strong feelings about Adam Murray, I don't know what to tell you. Well, <laughs> let's talk about a player who I think is really interesting and, and it's season in review, yes, but we also have to do a little bit of an outlook. Joe Valeno in my mind, what we saw from Joe Valeno was a lot of the trajectory we've seen from him so far since drafted and even before. Does he come in and is he lights out right away? No. Any level, you've seen that he takes time to get accustomed, takes time to ramp up. But I do think we saw that again. Like I think we saw Joe Valeno come in. He ended up getting the consistent reps after however much time. And he did look kind of better and better as time went on. People seem to forget it because a lot of this came at a time where the Red Wings were falling apart almost literally with injuries. Um, but he did look better and better. And it, it inspired some confidence in him as like, you know, a solid 3C next season maybe. Or, you know, if they stick him on the wing, then that's that. But I think he's viable at center. I think he had himself a decent season working on individual parts of his game. He had a prototypical rookie year for a non-star rookie um but you know better than average because he did a lot of things really well and the counting stats just weren't there and to be fair that's because he spent a lot of the season playing with whatever slappies happened to be available on his wing yeah um and yeah progressed you could see he knows what to do out there he was one of the red wings better um Transition players, um, getting the puck through the neutral zone, carrying it in with possession. Um, he could play off the cycle. He, he didn't get the puck to the net as much as I would like him to, but it wasn't that he never did it. It's just, you know, he's got to be a little more aggressive with it. And I think uh, his puck moving ability will kind of get a little more shine to it when he's actually playing with players who will get to the right spots and do something with it when he gives it to them. Um and, you know, I, I think if you, you pay attention to, he really did gain the trust of the coaching staff because when Larkin went out for the season, it was Valeno who replaced him on the top line, which, you know, 
doesn't seem like a lot when there's like you know seven meaningless games left but to nhl players that's a huge deal yeah he was the first line center for six six or seven games whatever it was they put him there they didn't put pew Suter there they didn't put michael rasmussen there they didn't put whoever there it was joe valeno that they're like all right you're going to play with raymond and bertuzzi and did they thrive there no not really <laughs> joe valeno shouldn't be expected to thrive there he's a middle six center at best and he was playing above his weight class against other teams top players but he didn't drown there no which is important so yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. I don't think he's ever going to be like a 50, 60, 70 point scorer. But he looks like a real good bet to be like a solid, you know, 200 foot, 40 point middle 6C. If I actually think I might be a little bit more conservative on Valeno. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm just in the mode where I need to see more. I think you just need the proof of work, especially at the NHL level. The center position is so hard to play and play consistently. And he's still young, right? Like, how old is he? 22? Yeah, he's 22. Yeah, he was Zadina's draft. And he's, I think he was a true. He's a January, early January birthday. Yeah, whereas Zadina was a late birthday that draft. Yeah, so. so he's 22 years old. He's got a lot of time. You got to be patient with him. And I don't think you need to go in next season expecting him to be Detroit's second line center. I don't think that'd be a particularly good situation or ideal at least. But if he can be a, you know, 40 point middle six, 200 foot center, I'd be thrilled. I think a great result next season would be for him to be a solidified third line center for Detroit. Cause then I think that puts that in play for him to slot into the middle six, like up or down as needed for Joe. It's, it's about continuing to focus on the little things in his game. I, I, I agree with what you said, Brad. I don't think he got the puck to the net nearly as much as you would have hoped, but like you, like you also said, he's not going to turn into a Lucas Raymond. He's not going to turn into like a hyper productive centerman that that's just not what the red wings are getting with him but the red wings also need a 200 foot responsible reliable solid centerman to play in their middle six so yeah okay uh the rest of the lineup there are players here like i don't know you can take a look at at adam ernie you can look take a look at oscar sunkfist sam gagne Carter Rowney, Giovanni Smith, Mitch, Mitchell Stevens. My note about Mitchell Stevens is that I wish he didn't get hurt because I really liked him as that for, like as that fourth line center. I think he worked yeah. really well. Um, yeah, Mitchell Stevens could be that guy. Uh, hey, do you like uh, Prime Darren Helm? Boy, do I have a guy for you. Yeah. Um, any notes about those players? Like, it's all just kind of they are who they are, and the Red Wings weren't good enough last year to be to have the luxury of complaining about their depth players. I liked having Giovanni in the lineup. Yeah, offers a little bit of a, a little bit of extra jam when they needed it and just helped out some of the younger guys a little bit. Yeah. God damn, he cannot skate. Yeah, he seems to hit a, have hit a wall with that. I think yeah. I think we're seeing what we're going to see with Giovanni Smith. I don't think he's ever going to I don't want to say ever. It just doesn't look like he's going to be a bona fide certain this guy's on the ice every single night player. Yeah. He seems to be probably up and down, maybe sometimes more than not, depending on injuries, sometimes in the press box, sometimes because the team needs a little bit extra juice. There are points where at this year in the season where he wasn't in the lineup and they were just getting absolutely bullied, like physically bullied. And I was like, it sounds so cliche and like old school hockey, but you need a little bit of that sandpaper because it's starting to piss you off a little bit, especially like, when you see how heavy the teams in the playoffs right now play, yeah. you need a little bit of jam. 
And then it was like Lucas Raymond, resilient kid for, for the record. Like he took a lot of like punches. He took a lot of rough stuff from the other teams this year as, as they tend to do against productive rookies. And like, he always ended up okay, but it, it did get frustrating after a while seeing Lucas Raymond at the bottom of a pile. And you're like, you wish you had a couple Giovanni Smiths in the lineup tonight. It does sound like caveman stuff, but like knowing the fact that you've got a, a cold blooded killer sitting in the same bench as you kind of frees your game up a little bit. <laughs> uh, I think, I think it was Merrick made this point. Um, Anaheim and, um, oh, who was it that tuned up, uh, Anaheim in that, that oh, Arizona J- and Anaheim. Jay Beagle? Yeah. Jay Beagle did that and Anaheim lost or got rid of Nick Delorier, right? That wasn't lost on them. If Nick Delorier is there in that game, Jay, Jay Beagle is probably not losing his mind like that. Or he doesn't have the chance to because he then has to fight Nick Delorier and not an unwilling combatant. It's not certainly possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's about as much as I have on Giovanni Smith and, and like guys like Carter Rowney. We Car- just need a guy who's actually very good at hockey who is also a bull, like a big bully. Tom Wilson. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tyler Bertuzzi fits that mold in a different way. Yeah. Which is why teams come. He wouldn't so be much. like a heavyweight. No, no, no. And you, you don't want your Tyler Bertuzzi's throwing hands all the time. No. They tend, like, hands tend to break in fights. That's why Tom Wilson suplexes people. <laughs> you joke, but you're right. <laughs> you think we can bring Dustin Bufflin out of retirement? Man, me and my buddies were watching, like, biggest hits in NHL history, and, like, 20% of the hits were Dustin Bufflin. I was like, he probably was letting up. Oh, he absolutely <laughs> was letting up. He like he was he, he was as close to as that like that's a train that's a train who just hit a person on the ice like he actually was a locomotive on the ice the hit he threw on Mark Stone oh yeah was probably one of the biggest cleanest hits between two monstrous bodies I've ever seen you watch that and then sometimes you get like the ice level mics and you just pick up the impact of their two frames hitting each other and you're like oh my god i don't know how mark stone got up to be honest his insides must have been liquefied yeah dustin a lot of people breathe this high relief and dustin bufflin retired yeah the nhl yeah. could take that closet of everybody's contracts that says you cannot hold us liable if killed by dustin bufflin yeah. dustin bufflin was a little bit like if nick cronwell was also the size of a bull <laughs> yeah like that's how he hit you i remember seeing a video there was like a scrum and and dustin bufflin like it looked like he like picked up his like child and like pulled him out of the scrum with one hand. Yeah, and it was a grown ass man. There was one um, in the playoffs against Nashville. He did the same thing, but he had two, <laughs> two predators. Guys. Yeah, they're on their on their knees, and he's got one in each hand, and he's just dragging them to the principal's <laughs> office. Oh man! And he doesn't. He didn't even really like hockey. It seemed like <laughs> he just kind of like, yeah, oh, I guess I'm done. <laughs> just stopped. Now he just fishes. Good for him. Um, you know. Another guy I want to talk about a little bit, and I know Brad, he said he didn't want to, but I appreciate Sam Gagne. And I, I just want to put that out there. Sam Gagne was oftentimes in a game that was lost, and you're like, I can't believe we have 45 more minutes of this game. And at this rate, the Red Wings are going to get absolutely obliterated and put nothing on the board. Sam Gagne was often the person to just get something done, put something on net, put something behind past the goalie. Very obviously really well liked in the room. A lot of the younger guys talk about Sam Gagne as like a mentor and a, a good person to have around. He's 32. And I know a lot of people. He's the oldest 32-year-old 
imaginable by far oh my god but he started in the league young right he must have been 12 so <laughs> people remember when sam gagne started and he started oh god 15 years ago 14 15 years ago so 07 08 was his first season right yep. yeah and he played a full 79 game like right off the bat wow. so we've been seeing sam gagne forever i appreciate sam gagne I wouldn't hate having him back at all in that that depth role. I want to see every position in the lineup competed for, but I like him. So I'm going to leave my entire judgment to on uh, Sam Gagne to one tweet um, from Sarah Helmeroids. Yeah. She did her Red Wings Awards. Right. And um, he won an award. So I'll just read the tweet, and that's all my thoughts on it. Uh, my personal favorite, the Spare Parts Award, goes to the guy who is just kind of there. You always got to have a guy like that. A utility player, a locker room guy. For the second year in a row, everybody's favorite spare part is Sam Gagne, the team dad. Good glue guy. Amazing. It's perfect. I have nothing to add. Glue guy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Red Wings awards are always fun. (laughs) Uh, Any other forwards? Oscar Sunkvist, what did you think of him after he came in from the tree? He wasn't terrible, so he was one of the best bottom six guys. (laughs) Yes. The bar is so low. (laughs) The bar is very, it's very subterranean. Low. Uh, all right. That's the forwards. Any other notes on any of the guys that were mentioned or otherwise? Absolutely none good. Uh, Carter Rowney, otherwise known as Jordan Osterley, but on forward, <laughs> essentially. Carter Rowney, again, was he a world beater? No. Was he always fantastic? No. Was he fine for what he was brought in for? Yes. And so, at times you're like, surprisingly decent. Yeah. He had uh, not the least amount of goals on the team. Who did? Not Carter Rowney. You tell us. You're the one with the laptop. Right, well, you could be bringing your. I know. I can remember at least two Carter Rowney goals, so I know he wasn't last. Uh, what do you, what, what's the minimum games you want to set? However many Carter Rowney played. Carter Rowney played 20. He only played 26. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. He only played 26. Well, then it's uh, Mitchell Stevens and Danny DeKaiser tied with zero. There we go. But Danny DeKaiser played 59 games. There we go. Yeah. Okay, uh, this series will continue. We'll be taking a look at the defense and goaltending and some- <laughs> buckle up. Yeah, <laughs> in a future episode. But thanks for bearing with us on the forwards. As you can tell, it's uh, an interesting year. Oh, we we should do forty five minutes on Chase Pearson and uh, Turner Elson and maybe Riley Barber as well. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, before no, we, we got to give Max for could we do forty five seconds? Let's start with that. Uh, it still feels like too much. Yeah. All right. Before we move on, uh, I do want to mention that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a uh, sponsor that gives ho- us hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. There are tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. I personally uh, am really grateful for the opportunity to hedge my terrible Florida bracket pick by uh, betting on Tampa Bay. So thank you for that. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. 
You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-979, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, folks, the playoffs. Evan, as you aptly tweeted, Watergate 2022. Yeah, Akima Lou just tweeted something about how Nazem Kadri has received so many racist remarks since that happened that the police have had to been had to be brought in. So cool, very cool, very very cool. Very Ryan's cool. favorite topic. Yeah, no, well, I'm not surprised, and it's gross. And think what you want about Nazem Kadri, but he was clearly he clearly was like it was an accident, like. He took, there was contact, there was a loose puck, and I totally agree with him. Yeah, here's the thing about Naz. When Nazem Kadri messes up and does something boneheaded, it is it's like egregious. So obvious. <laughs> it's like he brought a pickaxe onto the ice or like elbowed someone in the teeth when they were like in line at Dunkin' Donuts or something. Like, yeah. Nazem Kadri, it's never borderline with Nazem Kadri. That was an unfortunate play. It sucks. It blows. St. Louis just lost their goaltender who was on a heater and who was, you know, giving Colorado hell. He's out probably for the rest of the playoffs. That sucks. I can't look at that and say that's absolutely Nazem Kadri's fault and that it was at all intentional. That's just me. No, yeah. His coach would bench him if he doesn't drive the net on that play. Like, There's a loose puck near the crease. It's his job to go at it, balls to the wall. And I mean, after what Barbashev did to Gerard, I don't know if Blues fans can are allowed to go all poopy pants like Jordan Bennington did. Threw a water bottle at Threw a interview. water bottle at him. I, right. Eject it into my eyeballs. I want more of this. I think the only crime here is that it wasn't recorded. I wish you just saw Jordan Bennington like fly across the screen, just like people elbow right in the face <laughs> of Nazem Kadri. You, when you said uh, with Kadri, there's no subtlety to his uh, shenanigans on the ice. There's no subtlety to jordan bennington when he decides to wet his diaper because man does he go nuclear when it happens there's zero or short way yeah that's for sure yeah oh man if yeah like if if you like brad marchand's antics and love to hate him jordan bennington's very quickly getting into that same category yeah, bennington has to be the easiest goalie to to light up in terms of like just getting him to skate down the ice and try to like kill you with his stick yeah, oh, yeah. he's a little bit nuts um that series is crazy. all goalies are a little bit nuts he's Full blown. That series is a big boy series, though. Oh, it absolutely. There's is. there's no hiding out there right now. Well, that's what I said. Like this is why I think. I mean, Colorado uh, won pretty decisively five to two uh, oh, last two night. Netters, I think it was close for the a lot of the game. You could see the wind go out of their sails a little bit when Bennington when Bennington went out and uh, Hus- what happened when Huso got like caught going out of the net? Was it for a penalty or no, something they were pulling the goalie they're pulling they, him they and they pulling just him turn and over turn the puck yeah over. so like that was probably an empty net too like it was a close game is just a bit of a st. emotional loss for for st louis st louis is playing them heavy they got the split on the road it's remains to be seen Vili huso had a phenomenal regular season so you know he has it in him but it's, coming in in that situation is tough it's hard <laughs> it's really hard you know bennington was average at best for most of the year and then comes in and plays like the Bennington up from their cup run. So it's, it's really tough to lose that behind you, but St. Louis is giving them hell. Colorado has to have instructions from their coach to like 
don't get dragged into the shit because, yeah, like you said, St. Louis is playing heavy, hard hockey, hitting everything that moves. I saw, I knew something had to be up when um, Barbashev just demolished Sam Gerrard. Like, that was a legal hit by the rule of the book, but it was like an obvious predatory hit. Um, and Barbashev's Gerard- a big boy, too. And mm-hmm. Sam Gerrard's like four foot six. And the fact that Josh Manson and Gabe Landeskog were both looking right at it and did nothing. Like, the coach has to have the fear of God in them to do that because any level of hockey, that exact play happens over again. Barbashev's not making it back to the goal line no. um, before he's getting punched in the face repeatedly. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I, I really actually hope that St. Louis can... Uh, can steal another one here. I would love to see that series go to seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a bloodbath almost literally. And as a Red Wings fan, it's nice to see Darren Helm get on the board, but otherwise you don't really root for Colorado's success. So whatever comes up, it's fun. I still I still think Roman Yossi deserves the Norris, but when you watch Kale McCarr just like absolutely walk like Ryan O'Reilly, you're just like, well, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing? Like, he not every play he does is like a is a is a highlight of the night but when you watch like moments in isolation where he just like turns the jets on and you're just like like he just he's kind of transitioning in his own zone and just decides to just turn the corner and he just it looks like the other guys it looks like the other guys pat maroon it uh it sounds like a ridiculous comparison but it's a little bit like watching connor mcdavid when he just decides to do something he does it at he's will. like He's like wish.com Connor McDavid, <laughs> which is sounds ridiculous, but like he, he's an athletic freak. He wants to walk everyone. He wants to just accelerate from like zero to 50 miles an hour, like nothing. He just does it. He like says, that. okay. While changing direction. Yeah. While changing direction. He is legit. He, I don't know if that guy's hips last until he's 32, like it'll be a miracle. If Connor McDavid's the fastest skater in the league, Kale McCarr is the best skater in the league. He's the most agile. Yeah. Well, he he can do everything on skates and he can do it at pace, fast, and with the puck. Let's not sell Connor McDavid short and let's talk about that series. One, one. uh, (laughs) Game three is being played shortly after. You like bath salts. (laughs) Watch this series. (laughs) It has been absolutely bonkers. There's no goaltending. There's no defense. It None. is just Connor McDavid and friends versus the Calgary Flames. Connor McDavid has 20 points right now. Leon Dreisel is 15. Connor McDavid in nine games has 20 points. The same amount of, or one more point than Sidney Crosby had when he won the Conn Smythe in 2016 or 2017. <laughs> He's he's done it in one round plus two games. He has played, I think, multiple games in a row where after the end of each game, someone said that is the best performance I've ever seen Conor McDavid have in a single game. Well, that's what he has to do. Because unfortunately, that is what he has to do for the Edmonton Oilers to win. You usually don't see this, though. You usually see a goalie do this. This is like watching like prime LeBron when he was on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Cavaliers and yeah. it's just like if LeBron doesn't have the greatest game of his career this team is going to lose yeah it's what, that's what we're witnessing it's when they beat Golden State and that he just willed it into existence yeah. what was it uh, the one stat that came out after game one they're like hey can you describe the Edmonton Oilers to me uh yes they just played a game Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl combined for seven points and they lost by three <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely mental then the next game start like game three starts in 45 minutes from now like the time of recording so i'm sure something else will have happened but tied one one where you know to start game one what was the score to start game one it was ridiculous nine nine six in game one five three in game two is nine six a final and at one point calgary was up six two yeah and at one point it was then six six (laughs) bananas like does Calgary do, should Calgary win based on the overall composition of their team? I think yes. Edmonton has a cheat code and another player who's sometimes almost as good, playing very hurt, mind you. They have Bo Jackson and Tech Mobile. There could be a situation here where Connor McDavid Pierre, like wills this into existence, especially if if you know Markstrom doesn't show up and play well. Then it's very much like it, this could be an insane series. Throw your predictions out the window. Edmonton could do this and all of a sudden they're in the conference finals with Mike Smith giving up five, six goals a game. And it only would have cost you $65 to go to that first game. Really? That was the cheapest ticket available at the time. That's fantastic. Are you sure that wasn't Florida? Yes. Because I could have sworn to God I seen a tweet where like nosebleeds in Edmonton were going for like 378. Well, that was. Oh, this is Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of the game tonight. You're right. Well, let's talk about Florida. (sighs) Down 3 nothing, They scored their first power play of the goal of the playoffs today and still lost the game. Um, that power play has been such a failure that late in game two, they were already down one nothing in the series. They dropped the first one at home. Late in game two, they had a power play that they did absolutely nothing with. And then they let Nikita Kucherov pass to Ross Colton out in front, who was uncovered. Mackenzie Weger went behind the net to try to stop Kucherov. I, I, it looked like a, he messed up his assignment. Colton was free in front and with under five seconds left to play Tampa Bay got the win in regulation. And that was, they took the two games on the road, came back home and they've won the third one. If anybody wants to ask questions about what does it mean when all oh, this team knows how to win in the playoffs, this team has been there. They've done that. They know how to win in the playoffs. That's how not from a Tampa perspective, from a Florida perspective, the Tampa's the um, you know, who's been the teams who have been there, done that a lot recently, you know, the Red Wings for 25 years, they don't make those mistakes. They don't make those mistakes in the second period, let alone with five seconds left. So when you talk about a team has to learn how to win in a playoffs first, that's how. Because it's hard for fans to understand the difference in intensity because it always looks intense, even in the regular season. But when it gets to important games and in the playoffs, players live and die. And I mean live and die with Every shift, every little play, they are fully 100% mentally dialed for 60 minutes of every game. And the teams that don't know, quote unquote, know how to win the playoffs aren't because a team like Tampa, it'll be a one, one game in the middle of the second period. Florida will have a half ass cycle running. Someone on floor will take a half-ass shot from the hash marks and a Tampa guy will drop down and, and take a pretty harmless block shot. Guys on the bench freak out. Hell yeah. Huge play. Love it. Like they know that that's a huge play and they're because they're in it, right? Yeah. Tampa's that team, man. I, we hate them, but Tampa is that team. Nobody has more block shots in these playoffs than Tampa. Nobody has fewer mistakes like that than Tampa. Florida's just not mentally on Tampa's level yet. And that's all this series is. You got to, 
I'm not saying you have to feel for Andrew Burnett, but like John Cooper, been there, done that twice in a row now, yeah. has more or less the same squad. Well, down- don't forget how many failures they had before those cup teams. They have been there and been through it all. Yeah. And then Andrew Burnett in his first crack at it coming partway through a season, he did well with the roster, mind you, but yeah, they're just being outbattled in terms of like real playoff hockey. They're, they're, they're winning in the margins. You know how, you know what winning in the margins translates to? You kill a key power play, you kill a key penalty, and then you score with under five seconds left, and you don't go to OT. And then all of a sudden, you win a game coming back home, and you're up to nothing. That's what winning in the margins is like. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. I don't think we put enough stock into the fact that uh, Florida's had to come back to win games like 30 times this year or 20 times this year. You can't do that in the playoffs. No. when you Especially when you play the same team every night. Like... Tampa Bay or whoever, the Leafs, whoever, they'll just lock it down. Tampa Bay especially. Like teams who have been there, they're the ones they don't do what the Leafs do and give up leads. I mean, they did it a bunch of times against the Leafs, so I digress, but you you can't yeah, you can't be beating yourself to start every game. You can't be chasing every game in, no. in the playoffs and expect no, no. to win and I don't think we re- people really thought enough about that because Florida looks like a pedestrian team out there right now and if I'm Burnett, I literally just show them the shift where Stamkos is literally flying across the ice to block shots and be like, this is what you have to do to win. This is their captain, the guy who scored 60 goals in this league. Yeah. And he's out there blocking shots, almost breaking his hand. Everyone should be doing this. And and the team, like I said, they respond to that. And it's so easy to say, why would a team respond to a block shot? Like, again, well, you go stand in front of something like yeah. that. Holy yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's a dumb example for my shitty league. But, like, there was a moment in the first round of the playoffs where I was playing. Again, it's playoffs. And it was a team we knew we were going to crush. I went out for a 30-second PK shift. I blocked the shot, cleared the zone. They brought it back. I picked off a pass, cleared the zone, went to the bench. When I got to the bench, my team was celebrating like I scored a goal. Like, that's what it means to be dialed in, right? Like, it's they understand every little aspect of what is happening at all times, and they don't have lapses. If they have a lapse, it's because of a miscommunication or because the other team just did something crazy, not because they mentally dropped. This is going to be a great highlight reel when uh, Florida completes the the, uh, 3-0 comeback. That's the thing. (laughs) But that's the thing, though. Florida hasn't played bad. No. Like they that game you were talking about, it took till the final five seconds of the game for Tampa to win. Florida probably played better in the first game too, but Florida, if Florida played that whole game at five on five, they would have won. It was yeah. their own power plays that did it. Yeah, it's it's just those moments, those little moments where Florida drops just whatever, and Tampa capitalizes. For we've played what a hundred and eighty minutes in the series so far. Tampa's been definitively better for. Five of them? Like, I think they were better today, but they were the better team, but it's not like they ran Florida out of the barn. Let's talk about the last series, Carolina, New York, where the Rangers just finally put one on the board after bringing the series back home. So Carolina has a a 2 1 lead in that series still. That one's interesting. I think Carolina is a really good team, and it really is going to come down to goaltending for this series. I don't want to rule New York out. I think it was it was nice to see them get that win on the board so the series wasn't a runaway, but they're going to need Shesterkin to be excellent for the whole series, I think, for them to hold up over a seven-game uh, bout with Carolina. Also, whoever comes out of that series is going to have a tough go. Like, mostly NHL. Yeah, <laughs> mostly NHL is going to be rooting for whoever comes out of that series to, to come yeah. out of the East. 
I don't think either of those two teams are prepared for if if okay, let's say Florida miraculously wins this series. I still think talent wise they're better of New York and the in Carolina, but I don't think New York and Carolina are battle tested and have the same gumption that like a Tampa Bay does. I don't know. Carolina is that low key team that has won a lot of playoff rounds in the last like three, four, five years. They have made it out of the first round almost every single year. Um, ran they've been the victim of circumstance too. Ran into some good teams at some bad times, but. I don't know. I, I I was rooting for the Rangers in this series, but now I kind of feel like I have to root for Carolina because they're the best bet to take out Tampa Bay. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing either team go on. But then again, you, you see the impact of a goalie, right? Like Jordan Bennington coming in and playing hot is was a key in them beating Minnesota. And, and you know, they got on the board against Colorado. Shesterkin, if he plays like the Vezina, Vezina winning goalie that he is, He'll get past Carolina, and he could also get past Tampa Bay. We've seen a weak Vasilevsky before, and you never know. I don't know if attrition's ever going to come into play with Tampa Bay. They don't seem to weaken ever, and they're down Braden Point and not playing like it. But if they ever get tired, then that could be the difference. I don't know. Tony D'Angelo has actually been very good. Oh, he's yeah, he's been great for them. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Yeah, lots to come. Why don't we take a look at some betting odds? from our friends over at the FanDuel Sportsbook. What's Florida at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to see those? What's the payout to to bet on Florida winning four games in a row? So we're going to revisit we're going to revisit <laughs> some uh, NHL betting odds uh, courtesy of the FanDuel Sportsbook and then we are going to take a look at what our picks would be and um, I know we did last week so we'll see how that ages. Do you want to see what Florida is at to win the series? Oh yeah, I need Please. to. Please. Plus 920. That's it. That's that's Tampa Bay is a minus eighteen hundred. So okay, that's not a that illustrates it. Yeah, but that's not a terrible. Bet, so honestly, I'm not putting any money on Florida. I've not seen anything to indicate that I would take even the plus nine. If you want to throw five bucks, yeah, sure, like something small. But I, I'm not. Uh, I've not seen anything from Florida to say yeah, you're gonna squeeze this out for four games. If they if Florida won the next three games, I would still bet on Tampa Bay winning game seven. Yeah. What are the odds for Connor McDavid to win the Conn Smythe? Because I don't think he needs to get out of the third round to win it right now the way he's going. Yeah, there's no Conn Smythe odds right now, so we'll see. I but. think there was something like a stat where it was like Andre Vasilevsky in series clinching games in the last two years is like only letting one goal in like yeah. six series. Yeah, he's <laughs> or eight series or whatever. He had like a bunch of shutouts in a row coming into the game seven against Toronto. Even yeah, then, it's not like, good for Florida. <laughs> no, no. Um, Carolina, New York. So Carolina is up two to one. Carolina minus three fifteen, and New York plus two fifty. That's not a bad bet for Carolina in my mind, honestly. Considering they were the favorite going into it, they're up in the series, and even the game that they lost today, they were the better team. It's not bad. Like the whole recipe for the Rangers to win this series is very simple. Yeah. Shesterkin's got to goalie them. So, which he did to Pittsburgh in the first round, but Carolina is a definitively better team than Pittsburgh. Okay. Let's talk about, I think, similar odds if you want to take the favorite. Calgary minus 170, Edmonton plus 140. Well, I like Edmonton there. I like Calgary there at minus 170, honestly. Connor McDavid, though. Yeah, but over the balance of a seven game series, how many times is he going to be able to do it? And I'll take. Uh, Markstrom over Edmund over um, Mike Smith. Did you say you're willing to bet against Connor McDavid? 
How many times? How many times is he going to do this in the series, Ryan? The answer is seven. It's just <laughs> is Mike Smith going to prevent Calgary from scoring six? Which, as we've seen so far, this series is a fifty-fifty proposition. <laughs> yeah, I guess betting against Connor McDavid isn't my smartest move, but I said it, and I'll like. There's that. a reality here where Connor McDavid scores twenty points in this series and still loses the series. Don't get me wrong. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Am I wrong? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, so minus one seventy for Calgary, plus one forty. Which, if you forced to take to choose, which would you take there? I'm still taking Calgary. Um, I think this series is a coin flip, so I'll take the better odds. I put more stock in Markstrom stopping pucks than Mike Smith trying to find his game that's, on a regular basis. That's what I'm thinking too. You know what else I'm thinking here? Colorado's a minus 800 to win, and they're only up 2-0 in the series. St. Louis is a plus 540. They're up 2-1. Sorry, 2-1. I meant to say 2-1. Yeah. Um, St. Louis is a plus 540, and they have a win on the board. I understand they lost Bennington, but Billy Huso is still a very good goalie, and if I mean, he can get dialed in. In the regular season, Billy Huso was the better goalie. But he's one of the best in the league. It's a different game in the playoffs, but still, at plus 540, you don't even necessarily have to believe that St. Louis is going to do it. That's definitely the value bet of the four remaining rounds for sure. Yeah. I I don't think St. Louis is going to do it. But at plus 540, I don't mind that at all. Because Colorado has not looked like themselves for two of the three games in the series, and they're still winning the series. Yeah. Do you want to take a look at some uh, updated Stanley Cup odds? Uh, <laughs> no, because Tampa is going to be concerningly high. <laughs> Colorado plus 175. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Tampa Bay Lightning plus 280. Yeah, because they're basically a lock to be in the final four. Carolina plus 450. That's not bad. Calgary plus 650. That's not bad. I like... I I have to morbidly ask Edmonton. Plus 1300. There's a big drop off. Those two... There's actually no chance they can do that for... Against Colorado or St. Louis and then whoever on the East. But if St. Louis does them a favor here... Yeah, I don't know. I I just can't. Like Evan said, that's two and a half more rounds of this, and that's a lot for just one or two players to carry your whole team. I think if the Edmonton Oilers can be competent, McDavid's enough. Now, I understand that. It's a big if. That being said, yeah, the Edmonton Oilers without Connor McDavid are not even close to a playoff team, and I understand that. But can you ask a bad team to be average for a few weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Could Connor McDavid have more points in the playoffs than any Red Wing did in the regular season? <laughs> it's looking that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you to the FanDuel Sportsbook for uh, sponsoring that segment, and we will revisit those later on in the playoffs. But for now, why don't we jump into overtime, and we're going to start out with our Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to help support the show and join the Dub Dub Club. Uh, it's a massive, massive help. Anything that you you see us able to do, um, like produce these Winged Wheel Podcast flannels and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, that is driven by uh, our our patrons so thank you so much for the support in patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join we're gonna start with brian burr who says uh hey gents who has surprised you the most these playoffs for me ranta uh he has been the most surprising i didn't think that he would play nearly as well as he has oh man i knew verhage was good but like the production he's put up while hurt even if it was just the first round is 
was really impressive. I don't know. Nobody else is like immediately jumping to mind as a, hey, this is that guy who came out of nowhere. You know, can I give you a stupid answer? Connor McDavid. <laughs> I'm serious. He he heard us talking, the people talking about, uh, is Austin Matthews better than him? And uh, he took it personally because the answer is very obviously no. No, he is not. I, I am just shocked that he's found another gear again. Yeah. Like that to me is out of this world. I can't believe that he's done it and separated himself again, especially when like dry sidles hurt. That's hard to do when your teammates are hurt. Right. But he's done it. And it's been kind of without question. Like he has been just so damn good to the point where we're talking about him winning a series as if he's a goalie goalieing the other team. That to me is like, that's out of this world. I, I, I can't believe that. That's just me. Yeah, he took the whole questions about if he's the best player in the world or not personally, and he has decided to put the Grand Canyon between him and second place. Um, Miss Days says, who will be the next coach of the Detroit Red Wings? No ifs, ands, or buts, only what your gut instinct tells you in this very moment. Ben Wagru. Derek Lalonde. I'll say neither of those two. Okay. I'll take answer. the field. You'll take the field? Yeah. Hockey Town Racing Academy says, should Detroit make a push to sign Malkin and who will ultimately sign him? Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh gets it done because Crosby will absolutely not abide by that, I think. I heard there was a three-year of five mil per and Crosby was not impressed. Yeah. Yeah, Malkin basically laughed at it. Which, I mean, would I sign Malkin to a contract uh, more than that? No, I would not. So there's my answer for the other part of that question. Just dawned on me that uh, in our we lost in the uh, the Red Wings section of this podcast. We didn't talk a lot about Hiroshi or Comfer. Um, we'll talk about them next episode. Depth signings. That's the gist of it. Nice to see Hiroshi back, though. Yeah, I was I was very happy to see him back. I like yeah. him. Jacob Charlip says, "I saw Fridge mention New Jersey being open uh, to offers on number two. Assuming it's Cooley, what does a realistic price look like, and are you willing to do it? Probably not." Um the realistic price is going to be pick eight, obviously, and then probably one to two very significant pieces, um, Bertuzzi probably, and then probably something on top of that, and I doubt that's worth it. Because I don't think the drop-off in this class from one to ten is significant. Like, obviously, Wright and Cooley are the two best centers in this draft, don't get me wrong, but... You know, if you're taking a center like a Matt Savoy or a Frank Nazer at eight, are they that much further behind than uh, Cooley? My answer to that is no. The price to move up into the top two is, yeah, like you said, it's usually too steep. I don't know. The deal could get really complex and could be worth it. But generally what if I was New Jersey, if I was Tom Fitzgerald, what I'd be asking for, it'd be too much for what I would do if I was Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, that guy who's apparently very short says thoughts on Marco Casper at eight. And do you think he's more likely to play center than Savoy or Nazer? More likely to play center than Savoy. Yeah. Cause I really only see Casper at center. I think Nazer's just as likely to be a center. Um, I don't love him at eight though. He's not, Talent wise, he's in the range, but because it's a deeper draft, there's just enough guys that I like more to not to like 
not justify reaching for Casper. I'm I'm revisiting Casper. Casper's one of those guys, Cutter Gauthier included as well. Yeah. Where I need to look back and and th- see what I'm missing. Not that I think like I'm right and everyone else is wrong. I just think there's a chance it's too hard on them initially, on initial viewings. He's definitely in play. Also, this is a funny question. Also, Brad's elite prospects page lists him at 5'9", and you two make fun of him for being short. How freakishly tall are you? Okay, two things here. One, Ryan's 5'10". I'll get that out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, one, I do make fun of Brad, and he's in my height range. We are both significantly shorter than Evan. (laughs) Two, are you 5'9", or is that like NHL listing players? So, because I've had to have my stats taken, I know I'm exactly 5'8 and three-quarter. So, I round up. Five nine, and then when you uh, when five eight and a bit, yeah. When you're t- when you're younger and, and and talking to girls, and then you would say five ten, or oh, I was I was a solid six, six feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nice thing for work from home. You can just tell everyone you're six two, and they'd have to believe you. Yep. And then you're you're out a couple of years later, but there it is. The uh, trick is, I'm all upper body. I have short legs, so if I'm sitting, I don't look as short. So if I just never stand up around people, I can get away with probably five eleven. Okay, um, with Bunting, no, I'll save that one, actually. There was a funny story from uh, Ryan Kearns. <sighs> Stay Fresh Cheese Bags intentionally left a truncated comment. Um, there's a funny one here, and this isn't hockey-related, but I want to ask it on air. Nick Geyer says, no hockey question today, but I need a passionate debate on this one. Would you rather fight to the death in a orangutan once a year? Oh, I know this one. You get a sword. Or a chicken to the death every time you get in your car? Listen, the answer is orangutan. And I understand the animals are, but your life would suck if... How many times... Okay, you work from home. I don't work from home. Do you know how many times I get in and out of my car in a day? You know, nothing brings me greater joy than the thought of Brad having to fight a chicken every time he gets through his car. It's economical. Have you seen the inflationary costs of chicken these days? It's unreal. Dude, wait, I get... do I Actually, if I get to keep the chicken for meat... Yeah, why not? Orangutans are... They rip your goddamn face off. They're monsters. Like, I I fully understand that, but I get a sword. They'll catch the sword. I need to pull up a picture of an orangutan so I know exactly what Oh, no, yeah. it's You're basically fighting the mountain from Game of Thrones. Once a year. You you whiff once a year. That also gives me a year to train for it. You you whiff once ever. You slip. The orangutan ducks the sword. You're going to fight this this guy? No. You're going to fight that guy? No, you're not. Absolutely not. Um, like if I lived in a city where I could not have a car, apparently you that might be the city. option. Is like literally move to like downtown Detroit or Toronto and just like take the train everywhere. That's yeah. probably that's probably the right answer here. J- train chicken is the next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have time for some Reddit comments. Uh, Fat JC says, "What's the deal with Wallander? It's been suggested that he's not really anything special, but then he had a great second half of the season. Where is he at?" Well, uh, to start the season, it was it was looking to be a little disappointing. A lot of people pegged this as like a make or break year for Wallander to either put him on the track to make the Red Wings or, you know, would his candidacy as a prospect be in question? And he really turned it around. Like Wallander really, really turned it around and had a second half plus that was exactly what you'd want to see from him. So are you going to get a Maurice Sider out of Wallander? No, but you have a guy who could plug into the lineup what are you laughing at? Does the orangutan know it's a fight? Oh my god, <laughs> dude! They're always the ready to fight. Do you get the element of surprise? <laughs> they're smart. They're gonna see you with the sword, and they're gonna know. They're big. 
Looking at those pictures, I don't want to fight an orangutan, regardless of what my other option is. I am. I would if I could put money <laughs> down. I would actually bet on the monkey over you. No, yeah, me too. Probably. <laughs> I also don't know how to swing a sword like effectively for lethal actions, so yeah. that's a problem. Um, this one is from Rivians fifty two, and this was an interesting question. It says with the wings never winning a lottery, do we need Cider and Raymond to hit their respective ceilings to contend? I think our timeline will match with the downfall of Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston in two to three years. The, a path is there. So I was thinking about this one when I read it, and my answer is no. The Red Wings don't need Cider and Raymond to hit their absolute max ceiling to contend. What they need is for players who are drafted in the second round or an additional first round pick or in the later rounds to hit to contend. They need Wallander to be a regular everyday NHLer. They need Albert Johansson to fit in and be an undeniable NHLer. They need, well, Edvinson's one of the first round picks. They need the later round guys. They need Carter Mazur to come in and be the Red Wings' new Darren Helm. That's who they need to hit. Maurice Sider, if he only improves at half of the rate of a normal defenseman of his caliber year over year, he is still Detroit's first pairing defenseman and one of their best players. Lucas Raymond, if he only develops at half the rate as uh, as forwards in his position, that's still a what, like a 65 point, 65 to 80 point guy every year. I mean, he was almost there this year. The re- Those guys are already so damn good that they move the needle. That said, I have a lot of hope that they're going to get way better into superstar territory if they're not already. But they like if even if they if you have a conservative outlook on those two. They've already done what you need from them. You need the rest of the team around them to hit in a big way. And that that's the difference making. Like They're not going to win the lottery. They're not going to have all of these first round picks anymore. They're not going to be as high over time. You need your Braden points. You need your your late round steals. And you need, you need your guys to turn into NHLers. That's my soapbox. I saw you smiling halfway through that. You were thinking about the monkey again. Yeah. That's my fault for bringing it up. Okay. Uh, on that, we are going to wrap up and record our Patreon exclusive overtime. Thank you all so much. Um, very quick note. I, I Some people had reached out and said, hey, you know what? We're, we're in college or it's just not in the budget to support on Patreon. That's okay. Um, and there are other ways you can support the show. If you want to leave us a rating, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, Leaving us a rating, those five-star ratings mean the world, and they really, really help out. So I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for just tuning in. Tell a friend about the show. And when you see Brad at meetups and Winged Wheel podcast nights, just make fun of him and say, ah, you look like more five, eight and a half at most. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that really means a lot to me and Evan. Hmm. And then also point out to Ryan that he's not tall either. Thank you. all right uh thank you to everyone thank you to the FanDuel sportsbook for sponsoring the show and thank you to all of our patreon supporters our name level supporters on patreon arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah Grand foundation ache fur the stay fresh cheese bag nick perks brett bailey terry driver the number 69 crying ryan hand has banana slam and jamathong matthew m rice bettman should lose his job based on the yotes change my mind billy howell brandon m carl brutana nanaluski chimmy chumbawamba not chumbawamba Citizen High Five, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Doesn't Tuesnet, uh, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam al I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, 
Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Maximilian Cheesebags, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Revy DeLuca, The Pod is Full of Brad Takes, Trevor Pebovar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much, and we will talk to you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.